0: Welcome to Group Talk, four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage,
1: and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lenzi. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad that you've chosen to take time to hang out with us today. I'm Nick Lindsay, and it's an honor to be your host. For those who are new, welcome. We're so excited that you've joined us. Here's how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have on with us a guest who is a small group point person like myself to share with you insights from books that we're reading and what our takeaways were and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives, leadership, and small groups. I'm a big fan of today's guest, Kirsten Telzerow. Kirsten is the group's director at National Community Church in our nation's capital in fact she lives in capitol hill with her husband and four-year-old golden doodle luna fantastic name kirsten welcome to the show
0: Hey, Nick, thanks so much for having me.
1: I actually have a golden doodle story to share with you. My in-laws live in Charlottesville and have a golden doodle named Afton. And my three-year-old son, Marcus, has fallen in love with her to the point that anytime we see a golden doodle in Hoboken, he points and yells Afton to them. So it's, it's, it's adorable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, how could you not um, fall in love with golden doodles? They're sweet. They're kind. They just want to love you all the time. I, I personally am biased. I think they're the best kind of dogs.
1: Yes, yes, they are great dogs. Um, so some of you may have known Kristen from the many hats that she wears around the small group network. She is like our utility filter, has played so many positions and is sneaky good at all of them. Could you share with us what you do for the small group network?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I do a couple of different things with the network. I'm very passionate about the small group network. And so you'll find me as uh, an Accelerate speaker where we just are actually... Um, Today is day two of Accelerate Arizona. They happen all over, um, so you can look for one near you. But basically, they're strategic planning for your group's ministry, and they're a lot of fun. Um, I also am a blogger, so if you um, you know see any of the small group network blogs, you'll find um, some of my writing there as well. As um, right now, I have a dual role. I serve as the North American Associate Director with Philip Byers, uh, as well. (laughs) Yeah, um, it's a lot. Of fun, That's awesome. um, as well as the Northeast regional leader, because I am, you know, in D.C. and, and then um, I'm from Pennsylvania as well. So have some Northeast connections.
1: That is great. I also love that, like, you don't just blog, you vlog. So <laughs> like... It's always beneficial. I'm a, I'm a, actually a secret YouTube junkie. I, of course, love all the funny videos, but I also really dig the educational ones, and there's some really good history content on YouTube. But I believe our small group network YouTube page is actually pretty great, too. There's some additional content, like your vlog is hosted there, but uh, it's also another place where you can listen to this podcast. And another thing I like about you is you actually took over for me as the regional leader, but you decided to take on even more states. I was just doing three of them, and you're like, give me the rest of them up there, so... <laughs> 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 so, And then we also have this cool connection. I'm originally from Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is about 30 miles east of Pittsburgh. And my family went to a church in Latrobe called Charter Oak Church. And years later, after we had already met through the small group network, we found out we both went to that church for a period of time. Kirsten, you want to tell them about your connection with Charter Oak Church? Yeah,
0: so it's a great connection that we have. And I love sharing this story with people. So um, my family still lives there. And my dad's the executive pastor at Charter Oak Church. And I grew up in that church. Um, I accepted Christ in that church and uh, even received my calling into ministry in that church. So that's that church awesome. a special place in my heart. But I also love the fact that anytime that, you know, we're connected in the network, uh, Nick, that we just share that that uh, story with people. And they're like, what? Really? In Greensboro, yeah. Pennsylvania?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's a great little church. I love, like what your dad does is is fantastic. That's actually where I found... Uh, My relationship with Jesus, like, I mean, I grew up in that church, but it was that youth group, specifically a guy named Dan Turney that really helped me um, solidify my faith and show that Jesus just isn't just something. He actually did what he said he did and so grateful for them and and, uh, what they've done for my lives. I think I usually take like one moment in my year, usually when I think about it to like, I'll reach out to Dan and just be like, hey thank you. Just want to let you know, like, keep going. Your impact is far more than you can imagine. And I hope that's an encouragement for you listeners. If you have that person who helped you accept Christ, that you just text them and thank them again. I, I try to do it on an annual basis. Moving on. Um, our book today is Canoeing the Mountain by Todd Bolzinger. I'd be a bad host if I didn't ask you, do you have any good canoeing stories that I should know about?
0: <laughs> so this is hilarious because I absolutely love the book. Uh, but canoeing, uh, does not canoeing and me, we don't go together. Um, you can add camping to that <laughs> list. I just, generally you will not find me canoeing in my spare time.
1: Yeah. Cause you are a, a Disney World, girl, right?
0: Absolutely, I would far rather to go to Disney <laughs> canoeing.
1: <laughs> so, I actually do have a, a canoeing story. Believe it or not, our we actually did it as like staff development back in 2013. We went portaging, which is when you like hike with a canoe. So you go from like lake to lake, and to get to the other lake, you have to like climb over this mountain. So our Canadian listeners are going to be like, "Oh yeah, I know what that's all about." So uh, it'll be it'll be pretty great there. Um, and we went through Algonquin National park with our staff. And it was one of the best things and worst things that ever happened to us because it nearly destroyed our staff because we spent a week together, no cell phones, nothing, uh, took 12 hour drive to get there and back. So like it was quite the stress on our staff. But I think what I really enjoyed about that trip and experience is that You think with all that hiking, portaging, canoeing and camping that you're going to physically break down first. But actually, the first thing to go is your mental and emotional ability. But you learn throughout that trip that the thing that makes a difference in your day is your attitude. You know, you can choose to be miserable or you can choose to find joy. But when you when you choose the right attitude, you can make it through a lot of things that suck. I think that kind of leads a little bit into why he's, you know, calling this canoeing the mountain because, um, you know, one of the things he's really big on is this leadership concept of, you know, going through that pain and going through things that are uncertain. Those are the things that, that cause growth. So, actually, let me share a little bit more details about the book "Canoeing the Mountain" by Todd Bolzinger. Subtitle is fantastic. I'm learning. I'm I'm actually a sucker for a good subtitle. This one is Christian leadership in uncharted territory. Um, But a little bit about Todd. Todd is currently a professor of practical theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. Prior to that, he was a pastor for 17 years in San Clemente, California, uh, which is where a lot of this book was developed out of. Kirsten, I enjoy having our guests pick the book. What stood out to you about this book that you selected for us to unpack?
0: Absolutely. Well, we already cleared the air that it's not because of anything related to my love (laughs) for (laughs) <laughs> but um, we really have been doing a lot of reading as a staff in this season. And I mean, we, we know that the saying leaders are readers, right? And so mm-hmm. this is one of the books uh, that our executive leadership team has been reading. And so I always try to focus on reading you know, what they're reading. And um, I also love books that really help me develop and become a better leader. And this book literally did that. Like, I grew so much in thinking about what are the areas in my life that are considered uncharted territory and in my ministry and especially even in this season.
1: Yeah. I love that nugget of, of reading the books that they're reading and, and kind of understanding you know, what they're going through. And I feel like that's always super helpful too, because they'll pick up some lingo that they don't recognize comes from those books. And so they'll come into those meetings and they'll say one of those keywords and you have such an advantage over another staff member, not that it's like, is like an advantage you have to have, right? But at least like allows you to go, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: So. Oh, exactly. And that happened several times throughout this book. And I was like, oh, that's where they got that from. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's always a good thing when your leaders are learners. Like it's, I think it's uh, another maybe thing from this book too of like, being a learner to get through these these uncharted territories. But this book does a great job of laying a foundation for approaching uncharted territory. And what they do in this book is they have... It's broken up into five parts. The first one talks about understanding charted territory. And then Todd has a really distinct view of leadership. And he kind of goes into each of those as we get to that, which we're going to get to. But um, I think one of the things... The the listeners probably still asking is like okay so why is it called canoeing the mountain and the reason it's called canoeing the mountain is because Todd is a, a really big fan of Lewis and Clark so Lewis and Clark were explorers we had uh, this was in the early eighteen hundreds Thomas Jefferson is the president he has just purchased the Louisiana Purchase and he is looking for these explorers to go view what he just purchased um, talk about like a blind buy by the way like we're just gonna buy this land we have no idea what's in it you know, it, I, that stuff to me is like beyond what I can comprehend. Also like, I blind can't...
0: in going and finding the Pacific ocean. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know how they made it. <laughs> Even reading this book, it's like, how do you know where to go? So I think one of the other things why it's like canoeing the mountain is that they had expected that they were going to find a river that would take them straight to, um, the Pacific ocean. And as they got, started going further West is when they hit the Rocky mountains, not even knowing the Rocky mountains are there. Um, and if you've ever been to the Rocky mountains, they are never ending. And so I can't imagine what it's like to get to one mountain, climb over it and then see like seven more and not even see an ocean. So, um, Th- that's uh, that's a big part of uh, the, the uncharted territory. But I also think, Kirsten, there's two other things that we should define for the listener. And this is one, how he defines missional, one, how he defines leadership. Would you would you like to take how he's kind of defining missional for us?
0: Yeah. So he's defining missional in the sense that it really is. um an external perspective of the church doesn't exist for ourselves. And and he says that in several conversations that he's had in his local church as well, where he says, the church really isn't about us. The church is finding people who don't know Christ and then creating ministries and, and being innovative, uh, for the sake of them, Mm -hmm. um, that don't know Christ. And, and then, you know, as you talk a little bit about his um, definition of leadership, he, he really does talk about how, um, this missional concept is shared. It's not you just going on mission for Christ. It really is this collective, um, and communal, uh, uh you know, for lack of a better word, <laughs> mission where we've been commissioned, uh, with Christ to go and do so.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, and the other thing that I think that's important to talk about here too is then like how Todd views leadership. Um, and so, for, for how he, he talks about this is that leadership is energizing a community of people towards their own transformation in order to accomplish a shared mission in the face of a changing world. And a big part of this is that transformation in order to accomplish transformation. Todd uses a Venn diagram in the book to show That transformational leadership is a combination of three concepts. The next three parts of the book breaks down each concept, which is technical competence, adaptive capacity and relational congruence. And it's when all three of those are combined that you have transformational leadership. And we're going to we're going to break down each of those as we uh, go on in this podcast. But before we get there, Kirsten, I just want to let's talk about what does the uncharted territory look like inside our own small groups? What, what does that look like What that we're currently facing um, when, it, when it comes to our groups?
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, I think in this season, um, it looks like many different things. So I uh, have a seminary degree and Todd even says this in the book. And he was like, you'll get to a point in ministry where you'll go. The seminary didn't prepare me for any of what <laughs> I'm going through right now. Uh, and, and, and that's really where I think where we're at in post-COVID is that well, what do our small groups look like um, when, you know, we're throwing around terms? Like I, I uh, just heard this the other day, that what about our digital groups and digital are like digital and digital groups. And I was oh. like, okay, that's, that's a new word for a concept that we've been trying to explore. That's been uncharted territory because what we ended up doing at NCC is we launched an online campus. We launched our online groups. We said, you know, let's open it up and have um, provide leadership and development for people all across, um, you know, globally, wherever they may join from. Uh, and, and now we're finding, OK, so now we have a mix. We have people who have joined online and then we have people who are wanting to meet um, in person again. And so what do we do when we say, OK, so we're going to, um, you know, go and have a picnic at the National Mall. And, someone is also chiming in from, you know, Maine or from Italy or, you know, whatever that looks like, because this is now a fidgetal group. Um, And so that would just be one simple example of I was not taught that in seminary. We've never had digital groups before, um, and we've never even had to think through some of this stuff. Have uh, we thought through online small groups, absolutely, but not necessarily what if it looks like if they're, you know, hybrid. Um, what if it looks like if we go back to, you know, some in-person groups? Uh, and, you know, depending on the, the direction of COVID, if it gets a little bit worse, then do we go back online? And um, stuff like that, that is all literally we are leading and building the airplane in the air as we go.
1: Yes. Yeah. I I know for us specifically, like we were just talking about that yesterday. We've are, we have some in-person groups that are back and they're kind of thriving, but you know, being in the Northeast, you know, winter is coming and we've just been thinking like, all right, so what are we going to do once this transfers back? Because we've also seen that anytime we hold an event that's inside our numbers just aren't great because one, it's hard to do safe. And I think people also recognize that's, that's where a lot of that danger lies sometimes. And so, yeah, it's definitely all uncharted. And so we were, we were, Trying to think through that as a staff last night and, and, and what that looks like. One other thing I'd love to throw in right here that's kind of related. If you're still stuck trying to figure out online community, I want to encourage you to check out a new resource that we have from Small Group Network. It's actually by the online pastor at Saddleback, Jay Cranda. He has just recorded a course for us called How to Start and Sustain Healthy Online Groups. Jay's a guy I personally turn to when I have questions about online groups. He has really encouraged me to help get them started at my church several years ago, and I'm, I'm really thankful that that he did so so that when COVID happened, we were we were ready to go. And uh, but the thing that's awesome is Jace is extremely knowledgeable and he's been in this space for nearly a decade. So check that out. If that's you, you can find more info at our website, smallgroupnetwork.com. And then just click on resourcing strategically and look for the course. So,
0: yeah, yeah, that's great.
1: If, you know, before we move on to the next section, anything else from uncharted territory that stood out to you that that you think is worth highlighting?
0: Yeah. Um, the other thing that he talks about in his book is uh, this principle that really has become a life motto for him in, you know, really living um, and adhering to the mission is that he says um, we often are finding ourselves in um, two things. Either we adapt or or we die. And he even will say, like, we go on adventure or we die moment. And basically he's talking about these urgencies of the situations um, that we have a, a choice to make. And he says that actually when given the choice, um, that unfortunately 90% of people will choose to die. And the statistic that um, he pulled that from is a study that said those who are faced with exactly that choice to stop drinking or you'll die to stop smoking or you'll die to change your diet now or you'll die the vast majority choose to risk death and so he's just further communicating the importance of choosing adaptability choosing um the adventure that you know they saw the rocky mountains and they went anyways as opposed to just saying well this mission is over
1: yeah no i i think that's so good too and i i think that's one of those things that's really at like i'd be shocked if All of us don't feel that inside our churches where, um, you know, we we know we want to go someplace new, but there's just such this resistance. And I I think a lot of it's because they obviously struggle to see what's, what's there for them. And there's that comfort, right? So even think about the, the, maybe the small group that you have, that's been together for several years, it can be really hard for them to understand why it's important to multiply and create more groups because they have this thing and it works for them. And so like, you can see that, that kind of death inside that where a group is just, they're comfortable with what they got. You know, and they're they're going to stay with that. But yeah, let's keep on moving. Let's dive into the technical competence section. Part two is all about the technical competence. So, just a, a, a refresher: Todd talks about leading the, in a transformational way called transformational leadership, uh, which is made up of three parts: technical competence, adaptive capacity, and relational congruence. So, the first one is what he calls off the map skill set on technical competence. So before people will follow you off the map, gain the credibility that comes from demonstrating competence on the map. And that really starts by building trust with your people. How do you build trust with your leaders and organization?
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, So in DC, this takes a long time to build trust and more than I had thought because prior to living in DC, I lived in Georgia. And um, you know, I, I just felt like you know i was here for 6 months you build credibility and people trust you um but in dc it took about 2 years to build relational equity with many of the leaders that i have because it's so transient that they were just really assessing like okay is she going to stick around or Is she going to be gone like X, Y, and Z? And they say that if you've moved, uh, or I mean, if you stay in D.C. and have not moved out within two years, you're considered a veteran. Uh, And so (laughs) five years later, I'm still here. And so I think one of the biggest things of building trust with leaders and building trust with an organization is really... I had to carve out intentional time and I still do on a regular basis to build relationships with the leaders as well as the staff. So it's not uncommon for me to just say, hey, this entire month I have set aside just for coffee with all of my leaders or coffee with um, my staff. And, and to be able to just continue to build those friendships and those relationships to um, just let them know that I, I you know truly care about them as a person, as well as a, a small group leader.
1: Yeah. What does that look like through COVID when you can't necessarily get coffee?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. No, so I just did it um, recently. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was great. I opened it up and I offered coffee or tea via Zoom. And they oh. were able to sign up for a specific time. And I said, you know, typically, I would I would love to be able to just be sitting across at a coffee shop across the table. Um, and we would share a conversation. But you know, we might not be able to do that right now because a lot of our, our coffee shops are just, you know, to go orders. I said what we can do is just do it over Zoom and so sign up for a time. And, and then I really wanted yeah. to know two things. I wanted to know, like, um, how are you feeling in terms of your group and, and uh, leading this semester? But then I also wanted to know, like, apart from group, we don't really have to talk about groups right now if you don't want to. I just want to know how yeah. you're doing and how your family is doing.
1: Oh, that is fantastic. That is a great idea. One of the one of the reasons why I think that's a great idea is you distracted them from Zoom with the coffee so often it's like, Hey, do you want to meet on zoom? No, I don't want to meet on zoom. I do it all day. Right. It's the common thing that I think a lot of us are used to hearing, but what you were able to break that down by saying like, Hey, I know we can't get coffee, but why don't we do coffee on zoom kind of thing. I, I like that. That's a, that's a creative way to, to handle that. When I think about this question too, about how I build trust, a lot of, a lot of it for me comes from, I try to be as consistent as possible. Like I want people to know what to expect. And my lead pastor, Chris high actually has a really good uh, leadership lesson on this that he comes back to annually with us but so often we strive to be constantly creative you know thinking of new ways that that we can you know teach our leaders and 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 communicate with them instead instead of just being creatively consistent so you know so many of us maybe start off with like oh i'm going to do this like weekly leadership email and like then i'm going to make it a video and like you keep trying to find like the new thing to do as opposed to just constantly Communicating with them on a consistent basis being being the goal inside that, and so uh, I think that that's that's been a, a really helpful thing for us. Um, anything else inside technical competence that we need to cover?
0: I don't think so because the next section is actually my favorite in the entire
1: book. Yes, so let's let's move on to it because. Man, I think this is where like, if you pick up this book, this is the one where like, you're, you're going to go through multiple highlighters to get through adaptive capacity. Um, You know, I, if you don't mind sharing, we were talking before the interview about how you had studied this transformational leadership kind of in uh, college or, uh, and, and that you had heard two of these, but not this third one. Would you mind sharing that with the audience?
0: Yeah, so in transformational leadership, um, you know, in college we had talked about um, technical competence as well as relational um, congruence, but we hadn't really talked about adaptive capacity. And um, I guess what I would, you know, specifically start off and, and define the transformational leadership is it is around, it basically centers around the entire person of who you are leading, because in transformational leadership, it doesn't matter necessarily what role you're doing as much as it matters about the person and how you're growing and how you're literally being transformed in the process. Um, and I think that that's why Todd really brought transformational leadership into this text because transformational leadership is, again, is the whole in mind. And he's really He talks about if you go on this journey in uncharted territory, it's literally going to transform you as a person Mm, more than it's just transforming what you're doing. Um, And so but he does talk about adaptive capacity in the sense that he quotes Dave Gibano's. Um, And he says, those who follow Jesus embody fluidity and adaptation Mm -hmm. and collaboration. And so he even starts right off the bat in saying, in order to move forward, in order to get past those mountains, you've got to learn to be adaptive. You've got to learn to be flexible. Um, He even goes in and talks about resilience. That's an essential part um, of having adaptive capacity, but he defines adaptive leadership is about letting go, learning as we go, and to keep going. And then he goes on to say that it's about enabling people to grow so that they can face their greatest challenges and thrive. This book is yeah. not about surviving at all; like it's literally about um, thriving and how Lewis and Clark thrived on this journey.
1: Yeah, I've really, I've really enjoyed that part of the book in that, you know, he's, he's constantly through leadership, trying to take people where they might not necessarily want to be. And there's another quote in here too. It says where he talks about like, you're going to have to disappoint people along the way too. And so this is the quote, he says, disappointing people at the rate they can absorb. Like, I love that, like disappointing them at a rate they can absorb is a skill that skill that requires nu- nuisance, disappointing people too much and they give up on you, stop following you and even turn on you. Don't disappoint them enough and you'll never lead them anywhere. I love how broad his his focus on leadership is. Inside adaptive capacity too, Todd gives examples to be mastered. Um, so this, this might help you get caught up a little bit more on like what is adaptive capacity. I'm going to read a couple of these, but I'd love for us to maybe touch base on one or two that we're working on. But these are a few of them. Uh, Calmly facing the unknown, refusing quick fixes, engage others in learning and transformation necessary to take on the challenges that's before them, seeking new perspectives, asking questions that reveal competing values, gaps in values and actions, um, explore and confront resistance and sabotage, learn and challenge without sacrificing personal or organizational fidelity, relationally help the congregation make hard, often painful decisions to effectively fulfill their mission in challenging. Kirsten, was there one of those that you're currently working on inside your own ministry that you're trying to grow your leadership in?
0: That's a phenomenal question. The first one right off the bat, the calmly face mm. the unknown. Because I think our, our initial response as human beings is literally, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure I can do this. And it creates a lot of internal anxiety. And what he talks about throughout the book is really wrestling with that internal anxiety and like, harnessing it. So you have control over that internal anxiety enough to then be able to to communicate back to yourself, kind of how like we do as Christians, where we we sometimes have to like talk to ourselves of the promises of God. He talks about doing that in such a way that you can harness the internal, uh, you know, anxieties, the internal stress, the internal things that will prevent you from moving forward. And then one of the things that I really enjoyed in this book is a part of the change Process. He does highlight John Cotter several times if you're familiar with the change theory, but he says it's, it's really four pieces that are essential, starting with conviction. If you don't know the why of what you're doing or yeah. the fact that you're doing it for um, God and the, what the mission that he's given you, mm-hmm. uh, you're really not going to make it in the long run. Um, he also talks about be, staying connected. So stay connected with the people who are for you and stay connected with the people who are against you. We'll talk a little bit about this uh, in another section. Yeah, I'm
1: going to earmark that because that's that's so good there too Go
0: yeah and then he um also talks about staying calm uh and when he's referencing staying calm he actually talks about two types of zones that people um encounter and this is really where he, you know he talks about assessing the internal stressors in the in anxiety as well as the external pressures and, and anxiety and he says a difference between a red zone and a blue zone so really, you know, if you want to call it a little bit of some um, emotional intelligence, if you will, you have to do an assessment on yourself, as well as your situation to determine the zone. So if you're in the red zone, you're pretty emotionally charged, you you know, might have personalized conflict, unresolved issues in self disproportionate intensity, and the conflict is always about me. Whereas if you're in the blue zone, that's where the values are in the conflict. Um, Self-awareness is key. You have proportionate intensity. Conflict is generally solved. And the conflict is always about the mission. And then the fourth piece is stay the course. And that's where he really talks about resilience. How do we and where do we have resilience to really just continue to Push forward no matter how difficult it is or no matter how much we don't know anything about, you know, the situation that may arise. So conviction, connectedness, calm uh, and then the course.
1: Yeah. Where have you seen the need to adapt within your own groups and kind of use this adaptive capacity?
0: Yeah, we've been asking ourselves a lot lately, like, what is our new measurement like what are our new metrics how are we Mm -hmm. measuring engagement um, right now because I can tell you it isn't how many people are walking through the front doors (laughs) of a building right yes and, and what does commitment look like in a season where people are being pulled in every different direction and they're taking on new roles, not only as, um, you know, maybe mom and dad um, or me- mentor in ways that they used to serve before, but now they're homeschooling their kids on top yes. of everything else. Um And then the other, the other area has been, uh, we just are communicating resilience um, and the foundation of the character of God, every single chance that we can to our leaders. We've been saying over and over again, I've been telling myself over and over again, God's got this Mm -hmm. and God's got you. Mm -hmm. So despite things that are changing, you know, God never changes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's really helpful. Well, Let's keep moving forward to part four of the book that covers relational congruence. I think this one quote really helps set the tone for this section. If leadership is energizing a community of people towards their own transformation in order to accomplish a shared mission in the face of a changing world, then leadership is always relational. It's focused on a community of people who exist to accomplish a shared mission. I mean, is this not what our vision of our own small groups are? Yes, we have a shared mission. But in order to get there, I want to see each person transformed, become more like Christ. You know, one of the things that you were sharing about when you we were going through that change process was stay connected and you had gotten into um, the people who, you know, staying connected to the people before you. And I think that we understand that, but, you know, could you, could you help us understand the against you? Like, why would we want to stay connected to the people who are against us? Yeah. Or what does Todd share of why that would be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, he, he shares about how when you stay close with people who are not for you, you're going to end up dealing with sabotage. Um, and you know, that that might be a little bit of a dramatic terminology, but he shares a couple of stories where um, it really did feel like um, sabotage to him. And um, he talks about this idea of the people who aren't for you, the people who don't agree with you, which you're going to have as you're encountering change, um, as you're changing your plans and going from canoeing to figuring out a Another method to get over the mountains, he calls them dissenters. Um, and he says that according to John Cotter, um, who, again, is that change theory expert, he says, engage dissenters, not discourage them. And the reason being is because it talks about this idea of uh, people don't naturally resist change. What they resist is the loss that they experience in change. And it's such a powerful thought to think through, okay, you might not be for me, um, but maybe it has more to do with the fact that we're changing something that you're now grieving a loss and experiencing that.
1: Yeah. No, that's You know, even the example that you talk about, like, you know, the centers, it it makes me think of like, what was that? 2008 when, when BlackBerry, when the iPhone first came out and you had that, I remember being an iPhone person. I'm, I'm kind of an early adopter and, um, but all my friends, they all had the Blackberries And like, I specifically remember them just being like, I can't imagine having a phone without a keyboard. And now we look back on that and think about like, how kind of silly it is that we were so attached that like we had to have that. And, you know, along the way there, there's going to be like, we, I love that he talks about like, we need to expect that. We need to expect people who are going to resist the change that, you know, We're hoping to bring into our organization. Um, And then he expands into this thing about allies and confidants that I really like and talking about the difference between the two. So allies, he defines are people who are within your organizations. They see your goals. They even have others or maybe even competing uh, loyalties. They can give you perspective, can build alliances. But one thing that's important is that they're not friends. Um, I think that's also one of those things that's like I know personally for me, it's been one of the things that's been challenging working in a church is, or is that, you know, these allies that you think are your friends, but really like that can, that can go south quickly. That's a whole nother podcast. But, um, (laughs) um, and then the other side of it, it's confidants, which is people who are usually outside of your organization, see your heart loyal only to you. Give you encouragement, can build you up, and are not partners. And talking about how each of them play their own role and have their own values within that. You know, I, I think about this a lot because there are people that I have developed really strong friendships out of the small group network and realizing that they're confidants, knowing that they know my role and they're loyal to me, but they don't necessarily see the day to day. And so I need to be cautious of how much they kind of build me up, right? Because sometimes you can go into it and it's like, they don't always see what's going on or the 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 goals or or the church's kind of side of it, uh, like your like your allies do. So, anything that you would kind of add to that, or. or- or how you experienced that?
0: Yeah, I think just the distinction that you highlighted is, you know, your allies are not necessarily your friends, whereas your confidence, mm-hmm. um, confidence tend to be uh, your friends. The only other thing that I will add in this section that was, I thought was really powerful is uh, Todd references this nickname of a peacemonger. Oh, and yeah. he says, like, you really don't want to be a peacemonger, because especially when you're you know dealing with sabotage, because people who are a a peacemonger, they're overtly anxious risk avoiders. They're more concerned with good feelings than progress and they consistently Mm. prefer the peaceful status quo over the turbulence of change Even if change is necessary. And so, yeah, he just was like, you really don't want to be a a peacemonger. You know, maybe you know someone who's a peacemonger. um, But that, and then that's when he talks about, you know, making sure that you're engaging with the people who are for you, the people who aren't for you. And then also um, making sure that you're just continually okay, am I making this decision to? just keep a peaceful status quo, or am I making this decision because this, you know, this really is w- what needs to be done because I'm sticking to the mission. Um, and it will result in change and it will result in loss, but, um, it, it's the way forward.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's excellent. It was just, you know, let's, let's wrap up this book. So part five is on transformation. And I really think where he's trying to wrap this up as well is that inside this, this, This part as well, he introduces someone else who's very key to Lewis and Clark's success, which is they met up with uh, Sacagawea and she really was able to help translate and knew the territory already. And he sort of brings in this like how we need to include a diversity of thought. And so I'm, I'm curious. What does diversity of thought look like within your church?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that it really is about is being aware of. Like, I don't want to bring another Kirsten to the table. I want someone yes. who thinks differently than me. I want someone who has a different background than me. I want someone who maybe who didn't go to seminary, uh, and that way, I'm continuing to enlarge the leadership pool, and that there is that diversity of thought. Because he says, when you have diversity of thought then you have improved problem solving. And that's one of our greatest prayers at NCC in this season is we want to be solutionaries. And in order to be solutionaries, not only do we need to be you know, seeking the Lord and, and what his um, will is in this season, but also we need to be bringing many people around the table and yes. inviting them into
1: the process. That's such a great way to communicate that. You know, I, I was thinking too in this of how much like, <laughs> One of the concepts he kind of talks about in the book too is this, like seeing things from the balcony and getting out and in, in, in that as well. Um, but I, I loved your your point on like I don't need another Kirsten at the table, and I see this a lot inside our own church where we have a lot of sorry, this is another podcast is going to talk about enneagrams, but um, we have a lot of ones in our church. We have a lot of like our, our leadership is made up of a lot of like that perfectionist kind of type, and. When we go to hire, I think sometimes we look exactly for that like same one again and miss out on the force who can really help us, you know, feel and care and don't have necessarily these huge gut reactions to everything. And so I I love that you're talking about like bringing in other voices. I think about the two. One of the things that's been helpful for me as well is like continuing to look for the next generation as well and bringing them on staff. I think sometimes we get hesitant because we think like, oh, what do they know? But like. They give you such a different vision than what what, you, what you're what you not typically used to, which I think is good too. Or even just like, they always find great ways to know how to communicate better and more effectively since that's constantly yeah. changing too. Yeah. All right. As we wrap up, I want to start this new section on this podcast that is kind of like a lightning round. Uh, if you want to tweet me or however, if you want to find me on Facebook, I'd love a name for this section, but I'm going to end each, each show with the same question. So uh, first question is, what's a book that you've read recently that has an impact on your leadership?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I just finished reading the vision driven leader uh, by Michael Hyatt. Oh, just phenomenal, (laughs) phenomenal book. I I really am on this vision train right now. Uh, and so I would highly recommend it because he unpacks like, not only do you need to have a vision for your organization, but in order to understand a vision, you have to have a personal vision script. And if you don't have one, you need to get one. And then he walks you through the steps of how to have one.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his before there was this show reading lens. We used to have the same format and it was called book talk and we did his book free to focus back in March of 2020. And you can hear how I implemented that into how I work as a small group director. And then what's one book that you would say that you're looking forward to that's on your list? You know, I I saw recently on your Instagram that you have like five books that you're about to tackle.
0: Yeah, Nick, I think one of my biggest problems is I always have a stack of books that I want (laughs) to be reading. Um, So I'm working through that stack. And the next one on my list um, is a book called Compassion and Conviction. Um, It's a basic guide for civic engagement. Mm. Um, And so just trying to read um, right now, uh, we've been encouraged as a staff to read All kinds of books, books that we naturally gravitate towards, books that we don't naturally gravitate towards, and to really just um, continue to be learners. Um, And so that's next on my list.
1: Yeah. It sounds like your church is really embraces personal development. What does that What does that look like at, at NCC?
0: Yeah, NCC um, very much so uh, emphasizes even personal development. So that's everything from uh, continued resources for whether that's books or conferences, whether that's being a part of networks um, and being in mm. you know like even the small group network huddles. That's a huge yeah. part of even my personal development. That um, NCC rallies around and says, no, like we want you to be a part of that stuff. And it's a huge blessing.
1: That's awesome. Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that, I mean, you're always doing so much for the small group network. So thank you. I'm Nick Lindsay, and I want to thank you for listening with us. Thanks, Kirsten, for sharing your experiences with us. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. Reading Lens will be back next month with Tommy Carrera from Mission Church in Ventura, California. We'll be covering the book Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging by Sebastian Junger. I am looking forward to this one. And then this is the summary. We have a strong instinct to belong to small groups defined by clear purpose and understanding tribes. This tribal connection has largely been lost in a modern society but regaining it might be the key to our psychological survival this is awesome because it's not written by like small group pastor and so like the fact that they're using small groups i think is really exciting so i'm looking forward to diving into that book and you know so if you want to join along with us that's the book that we're going to be reading Uh, but remember readers are leaders take care everyone before we go i've got a question for you are you subscribed to the small group network monthly e-newsletter from our latest articles video and podcast to our upcoming events To our new huddle conversation starter, this dynamic resource is delivered directly into your inbox each month. Join the 20,000 other small group point people who have subscribed by visiting smallgroupnetwork.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click the blue subscribe button today. And thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically.